Well, good morning, everybody. Let me uh, make sure I get the, the oops. There we go. There we go. There we go. All right. Good morning, everybody. And welcome to the All Portable Discussion Zone, a bi-weekly live stream all about amateur radio portable ops. My name is Charlie, November Juliet 7 Victor. And with me this morning are the show's, the show's two co-hosts, Dan, KC7MSU, and Brian, W7JET. And also, we are pleased to introduce to you today our guest, Eric, for Z1UG from Israel. And of Hello, course, everyone. And of course, as always, we Thank have you. regulars in the chat room. Uh, so if you are uh, in the chat room and like to stick around and, and uh, ask questions, just pop those uh, in the chat and we'll try to answer those. Uh, we do have the uh, the podcast that comes out with uh, in about... 24 hours after the show, so uh, check that out if you want to, to check the podcast out version out. Uh, also, you can support the channel by buying a Coke. You can find that in the notes as well. And uh, so first, let's uh, go around and uh, see what everybody's been doing for the last couple of weeks. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Brian, since he's in the upper left of my screen. Go ahead, Brian. Hey, good evening. Great to everybody. So uh, I haven't been uh, incredibly soda active, and it's mainly because of where I've been landing with work. Uh, I tried to do something up in Sholo two days ago, but the roads to the peaks that I did want to go to were impassable. Week earlier this week, I did do one in Sholo, though. I did Porter Mountain in town. That was a good time. Um, I've got a uh, some exciting news. I, I hinted at it during the last live stream, and I got hired by a major airline, and I start training for them in uh, in about a week. So um, might be a little in and out on some of the live streams in the future, depending upon my travel schedule and work schedule until I get through the training part. So that's super exciting for me. Um, some big changes coming on, something I've kind of wanted my uh, my whole professional life as far as flying is concerned. So really excited about that. And uh, working through the CW Ops classes, going to hopefully be able to finish those up because um, I'll have a little bit of time in the hotel room in the evenings after class to do that. So that's that's all the exciting things going on with me. Cool. That's good. Sounds like you've been busy still. Yeah, just yeah, trying to, you know, got got it. Ham radio is a hobby that that doesn't really go away. Once you uh, once you, once you're you're in it, you're you're stuck with it, whether you like it or not. At least that's how I feel about it. Yeah, me too. All right, Brett, uh, Dan, go ahead. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, first off, congratulations, Brian. Uh, that's a new exciting thing for you to start. So congratulations again. And I uh, haven't been really doing uh, a lot of uh, soda or anything lately. Just been uh, working on some some new technologies for work and. Uh, trying to figure out how to uh, uh, get an a, a antenna up. I'm a little antenna deprived at the house right now. So uh, I managed to finally push some coax through the office wall here and uh, I can just set up my uh, soda beams antenna at will now. So I just uh, pop that on my uh, soda pole and pop it in the air. So at least now I'll finally be able to start chasing uh, on CW and finally get some practice in. Very good. Cool. Uh, I'll go to me next. And so I have been, I haven't been doing too much. I did do uh, some portable radio here last week. I went out on a uh, summit and that video of that, uh, that uh, activation will be coming out on Monday. I did some, some two meter sideband and two meter uh, CW contacts, which was pretty cool. Uh, then did some 23 centimeter and then hit the HF bands, uh, did uh, what, 64? 
30, 20, and wait, six, what how is it? 60, 40, 30, 20 uh, in the CW. And then also on my bench, I have uh, been working on something that I've been wanting to kind of introduce everybody to. It's still kind of something I don't, I'm, I'm going to keep under uh, under wraps for right now, but it's, a, it's uh, something that I've been uh, it's kind of a kit, and uh, it's a pretty cool thing you can you can do to help learn CW. And so uh, I've been uh, I've been smelling a lot of uh, solder smoke lately. <laughs> but I'll, uh, that that video should be coming out in about a week or so. So stay tuned for that. So that's kind of what I've been doing: a little bit of a bench work and then uh, some portable radio. So all right, Eric, uh, what have you been doing for for the last little bit? Well, I, I, unfortunately, most of my amateur radio activity is um, doing the QSO Today podcast, where, uh, Charlie, you were a guest a couple of weeks ago. And um, I'm working on the next QSO Today Virtual Ham Expo, which comes on March 12th and 13th UTC time. My, um, my ham radio workbench is quite extensive, um, although I've got a lot of unfinished projects. I have a, um, a uh, uh, Connect Systems uh CS800 uh, on my bench that I bricked, and now I have to figure out how to unbrick it. Ooh, and uh, yeah, it's not, it's, it, it isn't easy. I may put it in a box and send it back to them and see if they can do something if I can't find someone here to do something to um, help me unbrick it. Um, I've got uh, probably, I've got an all star repeater here that has to be recited. So um, I was um, the first in Israel to bring all star to Israel after discovering it in America about 10 years ago. And uh, so I have a repeater that was on a mountain uh, not far from me and, uh, and we've lost the site. So now I'm, I'm going to uh, repackage the radio, add a 60, a 60 watt uh, power amplifier to it, maybe change out some of the, uh, of the controls, maybe add some ways to reboot it using cellular uh, or something like that, uh, and then put it back on a, on a new location, but that location is yet to be determined. So, uh, and I'm sharing the band with uh, some kind of commercial um, DMR system that's uh, only uh, 10kc for my uh, input. Yeah. So I have to figure out where that came from. And yeah. in, in this country, if you don't use it, you lose it. So if we're not using the uh, the bands, it's possible that we could have a taxi service or something show up on the, you know, on the channels next to us. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the warning out there to hams is we've got to use these these channels in our national park or we're going to lose them so yeah okay so that's what's happening on my bench right now very good that sounds great um so eric let's let's get a little introduce let you introduce yourself a little bit uh, first thing i wanted to mention was that uh first of all we do want to talk a little bit about your podcast and we do want to talk a little bit about your uh uh, the expo. So we'll, we'll, we'll okay. do that at some point during the interview. But first of all, uh, regarding your podcast, the, the podcast uh, has uh, in episode 200, uh, you were the guest. So, so, so really the, you can tell everybody kind of how the podcast works and kind of the, the concept of it, but, but just real briefly, you bring guests on and you, and you have them tell their story. And sure. on, on episode 200, you told your story. So, you know, there is a lot of information. I mean, like well, that episode was like a couple hours, hour and a half or something like that. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> well, it was an hour no, plus. It, it, it might have been an hour plus, right? I yeah. think I what I did was I had a lot of questions that people had sent me and I answered those questions. So I read the question right. and, you know, after the interview itself was over and I put that at the end. But, yeah, if you want to know, you know, the basics uh, after 200 episodes, I was the 200th episode, and I'm coming up on episode 400, and I have no idea at this point what that's going to be. Um, it should be something special. Uh, if it's not the end of the podcast, I don't. I'm not saying that it would be, but 
Um, it's a yeah. lot of work. It's 10 hours a week of work to do. And I've been doing it since 2014. Yeah. All right. You do. So, so, uh, for the listeners, go to two, uh, his podcast and listen to episode 200. If we don't answer any of the questions, there's not enough time to really right. go into great depth. So, but just introduce yourself. Let us know kind of in your mind, kind of the highlights of, of who you are and, and uh, let us kind of get, get acquainted with you. Go ahead. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm Eric Guth, 4Z1UG. I'm also WA6IGR. That was a, a call sign that um, was actually assigned to a secondary station that I had in um in Southern California, when I was growing up in the uh, in the 60s and 70s, I was first licensed in 1973. So I'm coming up on my 50th year in ham radio. Um, I was a novice in in 73. I became a general in 74. The, um, the my call sign at that time was WA6VHV, which was um, I thought a terrible um, call sign for both single sideband FM and um, CW. And so um, there was a time when, in order to operate a remotely controlled station uh, in the United States, you actually had to have a secondary license. And so I had a, a, a repeater um, for a period of time uh, in Southern California, and that was, um, that was to be at some point a remotely con controlled station, but never got there because I moved away and went to college before that happened. But I kept the WA6IGR and turned in the WA6VHV. Okay. So that's, you know, that's from the very beginning. I've always been interested in, um, in uh, repeaters and remote control stations. Uh, part of that was due to the fact that I was living in, uh, in a, an antenna, one of the early antenna HOAs uh, in Newport Beach as a, as a high schooler. So putting antennas on the roof was uh, forbidden. So I went to uh, UHF and VHF and uh, that caused me to uh, professionally be in the two-way radio business. I had a, a Motorola MSS for a, a number of years uh, in Denver, Colorado. I um, had, um, I've uh, designed and built equipment, even though I have a history degree from UC Santa Barbara. Uh, I've, I had a manufacturing company for a while. I've, uh, I made a turn at 43. I moved here to Israel. I was a VP of marketing for a high-tech company based in San Jose. Um, based on some experience I had in the cable TV business. It's all very complicated. I think I might tell that in episode 200. And uh, I've been here 21 years. I'm in my um, 22nd year, I think. And um, it's a fine place to live. I have six grandchildren uh, that live uh, 30 minutes from here. Uh, I have two sons that live here in, in Israel. Uh, I only have two sons, so, the, so both of the children live here in Israel with us. Uh, my wife, Karen, is a uh, high school teacher. She teaches English as a second language. And uh, her office is two stories above this one. And uh, we see each other like ships in the night. Uh, but uh, because uh, for some reason, uh, we're always working here except on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath just ended in Israel. So that's how I'm able to spend uh, time with you uh, today. And uh, normally in the city that I live in, uh, in the Judean Hills south of Jerusalem, this whole city shuts down on the Sabbath. So uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. Everything kind of winds down and there's no traffic. And that's just kind of the way things are here. So that's in a nutshell, that's that's yeah. me and it. Wow. I mean, well, that's a, <laughs> that's quite a lot, too. I mean, it's a really interesting. A lot of different things. Looks like Brian dropped off. He'll come back, though. All right. Well, so, uh, Dan, you have any follow up questions on that before we move on? Well, uh, during Eric's intro, he 
uh, talked about uh, his repeater there in Israel. And it's kind of interesting because we have problems, obviously, you know, it's, it can be difficult to find a mountaintop to put a repeater up. And I was just wondering what Eric is going to have to go through, you know, to kind of facilitate that. I would imagine that the regulations and how it's done there compared to the United States is vastly different. And obviously you've had some experience in the United States too. So I was kind of curious about the contrast between the two. Well, it's interesting. I saw something on one of the um, forums where the Forest Service is charging for amateur repeaters to be in Forest Service sites. Well, I can say in the 70s, my first repeater went up in 77. Uh, it went on Santiago Peak in Southern California, which is 5,600 feet above average terrain. Uh, it was a commercial radio site. I, I made a contract as a um, as a, a just out of my teens uh, with a, a two-way radio company and and actually bought a space in the in the building on Santiago Peak. That was $50, I think, a month or $75 a month in 1977 dollars. That was a lot of money. And um, and the Forest Service fee, I think, was uh, maybe it was $100 a year uh, in order to be in the Cleveland National Forest. So contrasting that to here, um, Commercial radio space sites are, are probably very much like they are in America now. Those sites are managed by uh, antenna companies. Those antenna companies can charge whatever they want, um, uh, hundreds of dollars a month uh, and, or thousands of shekels here uh, for those sites. I was lucky. The uh, One of the hams in the neighborhood here happened to own a bakery uh, in a, a place called Rosh Sarim. And Rosh Sarim is on the top of the hill and the bakery was the highest building on the top of the hill. And we had, um, I think we could see from the Egyptian border all the way up to, uh, uh, up to halfway to, to Haifa, which was a little bit north of Tel Aviv. So it had amazing coverage. The only problem is I couldn't get into it from my house because there was a hill between me and the repeater site. So it was, a, it was of great benefit to everybody but me. So I'm happy to have the repeater here right now um, as because I can actually use it from here. But um, getting a, the new site is might be difficult. You know, there's a, uh, you know, if you know somebody, you can figure it out. And it's it's a funny thing. I um, one of my um, my good friends here in in Efrat, where, where I live, is uh, Yehuda Cern. He's um, uh, 4 x one TQ. Anyway, um, so we're we're actually maintaining a, a, a repeater that's in the Jerusalem area. That's in a, a radio site. And, and that repeater has been on that site for 30 years. So we're there and uh, a guy shows up and he said, well, who are you guys? And I said, well, we're, you know, the Israel Amateur Radio Club. We're working on this repeater here that's been here for 30 years. He says, well, I didn't know anything about it. And then he looked at Yehuda and he said, I know you from somewhere. And he says, well, that was because you were one, once one of my students. Oh, oh, Dr. Stern, Dr. Stern. <laughs> So, um, so we are still on that radio site because um, it just so happened one of uh, Dr. Cern's, one of Yehuda's students um, was now head of the area and, uh, and he kind of said, oh, okay, well, this is okay then. So that, that's kind of how it can work here is, is, is that uh, we, are, we, we, we can get a site because we know somebody uh, or we don't get a site because we don't know anybody. Uh, protexia, we call it Protexia. 
irreprotexia um, can count for a lot of things. So, um, so fortunately, we still are on that site. That site's very good for um, Jerusalem. I think we have a DMR and a two-meter repeater connected on All-Star there. And uh, hopefully it'll be there for another 30 years. Cool. All right. Well, so we're, since we're kind of on the topic of what's going on in, in Israel and stuff like that, we'll we'll uh, table your QSO Today podcast questions for just a minute and let's just stay on track here. Okay. Uh, we had some questions about uh, some other things in Israel and how they work. And like Dan, did, did, go ahead, Dan. You had some good questions on that. Yeah, I was I was just curious about uh, general for amateur radio in in outdoor activating and contesting you know how it's different there than here in the united states for example you know uh, soda activators you know is it somewhat popular there same thing like with do you have like a field day or or any of those kinds of activities that happen in, in israel like like in the united states Sure. Uh, well, we absolutely do. There's a group of us, uh, Anglo, Anglo hams. Anglo hams are English speaking, English speaking hams. There's a number of us. There's probably maybe 30 of us uh, in the country. There's, I think, about 1,500 licensed hams uh, left. The amateur radio service here in Israel is actually very old. It was, um, it was started right at the beginning of the state, as soon as the uh, state was declared uh, and you can actually check out, I think it's maybe it's episode nine or 10 um, with Amnon Bargiora, uh, 4X1DF, Delta Fox. Um, he was actually uh, the founder of amateur radio in Israel um, just after the declaration of the state. And uh, he has a very color. He had, a, he had he's, a, he's now a silent key. He had a very colorful um, uh, professional history with the Mossad, uh, as well as... Um, you know, being a, a very well-known amateur radio operator around the world. So um, uh, you can listen to that uh, podcast. And uh, it was one of the, at the very beginning. So if you look for that, you'll find it. But anyway, um, so we have about uh, 1,500 licensed hams. Uh, the Israel Amateur Radio Club um, is has their annual field day. They try to do two field days a year. Um, field day here means um, you come with your your rigs um, in your tables and uh, you set up, you don't set up, you bring food, you don't bring food, you have stuff to sell, maybe you don't have stuff to sell. Um, it's not part of a uh, like a national um, you know field day like the AWRL field day where you have all these clubs um, competing against each other. It's a social event. Uh, normally it's on the Sabbath, so those of us who don't drive on the Sabbath, which is some of us, um, we don't go, but then they make a field day for us, or we, we try to make our own field days, in which case um, we do those. And uh, there's a group of us that like to get together and operate, uh, not soda, because we, I don't think soda is very well organized here, uh, but we find a place out in the, out in the sticks and operate. We, we operate or we don't operate or we eat or we don't eat or we, you know, it's a, it it's fun. it's really a chance for us to get together, and those yeah. who are serious operators will bring the gear and they'll put it up, uh, and those of us who just want to talk and you know, uh, and uh, and and uh, have social time, that's what we do. So yeah, that's about as as deep as it gets here. <laughs> so there's a we had a guest on I think last week or the week before Chris uh, a couple weeks ago from England, and, and we were asking him about land access because, you know, here in the United States, if you own the land, you control the land. 
Well, it's interestingly, he said in, in uh, England, they have, uh, I don't remember who the phrase he called it, but basically you can... Right of wander? Was that what yeah, it was? Right, right, right to wander, I believe is what it was called. Yeah. So even if it's private property, you have the right to get on, go on the land and activate summits or, or just walk around. It's, uh, it's tr different. So we're interested in, uh, I'm interested anyway, in knowing how it is in Israel. I mean, if there's a summit there or if there's some place you want to go... <laughs> Um, well, look, thing, it's, it's a little bit more complicated here. We, I'm in the Judean Hills. The Judean Hills um, is, is um, for the most part, it's divided into three areas that were, um, that were created by the Oslo Accords in the early 90s. So I'm in Area C. Area C is, um, is managed and, uh, and militarily controlled by the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces. Uh, it's, um, and, and, and there, the other two area A and area B area B is controlled by the Palestinian authority. They have autonomy over it. And, uh, and area B is, is controlled by both the Palestinian authority and the IDF. So, um, that means that, um, it, depending upon the hilltop, you might have to get, uh, um, permission from one of the authorities in order to be able to go to that hilltop, uh, because it's, uh, it's in a sensitive area. It's in an area that um, perhaps the um, the residents might be hostile to anyone who um, is either coming from from uh, Israel proper or from Area C into Area A or B. So well, I mean, um, and we, we have to be a little bit more discerning here in terms of where we go uh, in in the hills, and so and the hills and the Judean hills run the. Uh, Run these is the spine of Israel, so it runs from the very north uh, in Afula all the way down to Beersheba, and uh, and all of that area for the most part is um, is area A, B, or C. So it, it makes the hilltopping part a little bit more complicated. Yeah. So so you know here. Even here in the United States, we get people who approach us and say, and, and are a little concerned with the antennas in the air and stuff like that. I can't imagine some areas you might go into if you put up an antenna, what the, what the concern might be. That's uh, interesting. Um, do, do you, what about your, your, you know, when you go out and you do field day or whatever like that, there's parks, obviously, you just probably go to a park or, or what do you do there? Well, there's, uh, so even in the hills here, you know, uh, in area C, um, and uh, along uh, there's uh, the entrance way to Jerusalem is um, is is not in these areas. And, and, and there's some so the, the ridges are kind of like going down, you know, to the coastal plain. There's a, there's pl plenty of places to park, plenty of places to um, picnic. And that's usually where we go. Uh, we uh, we also go down to the Red Sea, uh, uh, down to the Dead Sea, uh, you know, to operate, also, which is. Uh, the Dead Sea is the, the lowest place on the planet. So um, operating from there is interesting. Uh, we also yeah. operate on the coast. There's a there's apparently lighthouses on the air that happens every year. Yeah. And uh, we just so happens we actually have a lighthouse uh, in uh, Ashkelon. And so um, we'll go down and there's a lighthouse restaurant. And the guy is very nice and lets us operate from a table uh, on his patio at the lighthouse restaurant. So that's next to the original lighthouse so that's that's kind of what we do but we're, we're i can't say that we're as um I, I can't say that we're as active and um and have as many choices as uh, soda operators do in america 
Yeah. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed there's uh, several American call signs that have operated on some of the summits over there. So, I would imagine if you're from America and you want to activate over there, it's extra complicated because I would think that you would definitely need somebody there who's familiar with um, how to do these things and gaining permissions and you know, area B versus area C and things like that so that you could understand even how to gain access? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I I can't say that I have the answer. <laughs> I, I can't. Right. You know, again, we have a, I learned this 40 years ago when I was here as a student that it's, and you learn this in, um, I don't, in countries that have a, a large bureaucracy, um, that it's often easier to apologize than ask permission. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think that, but you have to be careful. I mean, again, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a soda operator from Israel, if you have a, you know, you're a resident here, um, you can't go into area B or C, I mean, I'm sorry, B, A or B, um, without permission and, uh, of the, of the military. And, uh, so therefore I'm, I'm assuming that anybody that comes to visit, it depends upon how they couch themselves. If they're, if they're uh, American operators who have an American passport, then I'm sure that um, uh, if they don't have uh, political connections to Israel, that probably they can operate just about anywhere in area A and B without any kind of problems. Yeah. Interesting. That is very interesting. I agree. All right. Well, let's, let's shift gears here, here real quick. And, uh, why don't you take a few minutes, uh, Eric, and talk to us a little bit about the QSO Today podcast. Uh, just kind sure. of tell the viewers who, it, I mean, a lot of people I'm sure already know and have been watching it, but there's, I'm sure there's viewers that don't know. So uh, go ahead and, and just uh, let us know what that's about. Well, Charlie, and you could scroll down and actually see yourself there, I think, uh, at some point. <laughs> well, there, you go. There, you, there you are, right there. Yep. <laughs> so um, the, the, curious, the QSO Today podcast was an idea that I had. I started getting into listening to podcasts. So now I'm a podcast listener for maybe 10 years, uh, maybe more. Uh, I listen to about 20 podcasts a week uh, at double speed uh, so that I get them all in. Uh, I love podcasting. I come from the um, from Southern California where I was listening to talk radio as a kid. So uh, KBC, um, I liked uh, Elliot Mintz uh, on, the, on the radio. I liked uh, 93KHJ. I was a big radio listener. So when podcasting became popular, I was thinking, well, you know, I could probably do a podcast and I could probably do a podcast on amateur radio. And I started looking for podcasts that were on amateur radio. And there weren't a lot at the time. I think Ham Nation had just started up uh, doing their podcast, but they I think they were doing more video or maybe they were doing a video show with audio. But I never I've never seen Ham Nation on video uh, except the one or two episodes where they had me as a guest. So. Um, I listen to everything. I don't watch hardly anything, and that's just because I'm I'm more oral than I am um, uh, a video. But anyway, I decided that um, what was missing was is I wanted to talk to people that were my Elmers, people who who I would have learned from, uh, and frankly, um, some of them I'm still trying to get uh, who I learned from almost 50 years ago. So the QSO Today uh, podcast was actually born as an interview podcast to interview ham radio operators about their ham radio story. The idea is to create a, 
uh, a volume of work that told the amateur radio story for future generations that might care enough to listen to amateur radio stories. So we start at the very beginning, as you recall, Charlie, we started to let, you know, let's start with your, at the very beginning with your ham radio story, when and how it starts for you. And usually it starts with a crystal radio and it starts with, uh, and uh, blowing something up or taking things apart and not putting them back together, taking things apart and putting them back together. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, a Dilbert, uh, where they, where they, it's a Dilbert cartoon, uh, where they talk about the knack that, um, oh, yeah. that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mrs. Dilbert, but your, your son has the knack and, um, you know, and he says this regretfully, but I think that all of us who are infected by amateur radio have the knack. And so I've been trying to, over the last number of years with the podcast, to kind of demonstrate that we kind of all had these uh, humble beginnings. It, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the professional side of interviews because, uh, you know, people's professional lives, because I want to show that um, that ham radio operators are a, di a diverse group of people that we're, we're not all engineers, we're not all um, electronic mavens, although most of us, or many of us are, uh, but that uh, ham radio is this kind of is this amazing, I, I say this all the time, it's, it's this amazing circus uh, with its, uh, its big top and its three rings, you know, DXing, uh, uh, contesting, uh, rag chewing, but then it has a whole... Uh, a whole um, series, a midway of tents of everything, of, of, of everything. You know, 3D printing is now part of ham radio because mm -hmm. um, we, we, we use it to support the things we're building or the, or the projects that we have. But, but that, that this midway now has a thousand tents. And, and the idea is really to show how valuable it's become over the hundred years that we've had the, the, uh, the licenses, uh, you know, originally from the Navy, but now from the uh, FCC, um, but also to, um, to to show how valuable it is as as we are the wardens of this uh, national park, uh, this international park of of spectrum that we have from DC to blue light, and how important that is as the wardens of this of this park for us to um, to use it to our benefit. And to the benefit of society and mankind, uh, in, in order to continue learning, uh, and it's an amazing resource. I think that we attract uh, amazing people uh, to, to the hobby. I think your story, Charlie, was quite interesting to me because it, it didn't necessarily come from that technical part, but um, you've kind of grabbed the monster by the tail, and <laughs> um, and you're not letting go. So. That's really uh, how the the podcast, the QSO Today podcast, has evolved over time, uh, and that is, is is that it's it's telling ham radio stories. I'm getting more bold now in interviewing people that don't have a long ham radio history, uh, because I'm actually interested in hearing what they are saying. And so you'll you'll hear if you listen to Charlie's story that I was asking questions kind of about how how did we accept him into the fraternity? You know, were we were we nice guys or were we difficult? Were we like difficult parents? Did we did we provide the resources that Charlie needed to be successful, or did we say, oh, you know what, you're on your own, kid. You know, jump into the water and uh, and if you drown, well, we're we're sorry. So, um, yeah, I think that's where I'm going right now. Is is I'm introducing a lot 
of um, I'm, I'm beginning to interview people that have less history, but because I'm interested in what's driving them now into amateur radio, because I think that we are somehow we're no longer the same attraction that we were when the kids when we were kids and uh, radio was magic. Radio for me is still magic. I know how it works. I've been in the industry for, you know, for 50 years and it's still magic to me. And I'm, I'm hoping that maybe we can figure out what that secret sauce is to be able to attract uh, young people again to the hobby uh, and make that, you know, make, make it as valuable to them as it is, has been to me and to us. Yeah. So I, uh, very well said, I, I, I'm going to ask this question. You probably answered it for the most part, but if it, but maybe you have a little bit more of a, a different direction. Uh, and then after I, after, I ask, ask, after I ask this question, then we'll leave, uh, we'll give it Brian and Dan an opportunity to ask any. So, but my question is, what do you think your, or how, I should say, how do you think your podcast influences the amateur radio community? God, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea, really. Um, look, I get a I get a fair number of downloads a month, you know, uh, a respectable. I mean, for a podcaster, I get a, a very respectable number of downloads a month. Um, I think that whether I'm influencing the ham radio community, the ham radio community, and in, in well, let's not call it a community. The number of licensees in America is almost eight hundred thousand. It's my understanding that the majority of those licensees are not on the air, not active. Um, so that's that is a huge opportunity for the amateur radio community to kind of figure that one out and figure out how to bring those people, you know, into activity. I'm not sure my podcast, based on the number of downloads, I don't think it does that. Um, I think that my audience is over 50, uh, mostly maybe retired, maybe not active 30 years, extra class licensees I've done surveys before of the of who they are so i'm kind of talking to me and my audience are people like me um who who've been in it for a while so maybe we're going down um a nostalgia kind of road uh but i don't i don't know whether i'm influential at all i i just keep doing it because i you know people send me nice messages and saying they, they like listening and um it's changing their lives some of them um, they've, they're active because of it, but I don't think I have a widespread influence. Uh, mm -hmm. if I did, I, my numbers would be much higher. Well, yeah. Uh, what, but the thing is though, Eric, is that <clears throat> me personally, when I was first getting in to ham radio, uh, not too long ago, really, I grabbed a hold of the, the, uh, QSO today podcast and it actually influenced me in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that your 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 podcast actually does influence the community in a lot of ways, and in fact, uh, everybody who's out there that that tries to do things to give to the community, I think is it's important. Uh, it's an important aspect of the of the uh, whole hobby, and it's something that that when you give, I think there, you just don't know. Like you said, you didn't know, and I don't think you really do know the effect. But I can say personally, for me, uh, the interest in uh, doing some kit building, uh, I. I mean, I grabbed a hold of I just heard all these great stories and it, and it just really brought alive some of the things that I had had, 
back in high school and before I, I had had these dreams of doing stuff like that, but never really did. And then listening to your podcast, I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I can still do this stuff. And, and so, you know, your podcast has been very influential to me. And, uh, so I think it has been to other people. And I, and I think that, uh, it just, it just, you just kind of, everybody who gives back to the community just doesn't really know, but they just, we just do it because we want to make, make a difference. I think. Well, well, thank you. I think one of the things that it does is I've, I've interviewed, probably some of the most famous um, hams in amateur radio. Uh, Art Bell is probably, yeah. you know, in terms of, yep. um, now he was an interesting, you know, if, you, if you're, you're interviewing the interviewer of interviewers, you know, so <laughs> yes. it, it was a little, it, it was a little nerve wracking, but he was, he was so nice. He was such a gentleman, but I, I can tell you something that I think that, you know, what the podcast does is, is that I think a lot of people that come into the hobby for the first time, they think that, um, that if they build a kit and they screw it up, they're the first guy that's ever built a kit and screwed it up. Yeah. But if they listen to the podcast, they'll see that um, there's a lot of people that when they were younger, they bought kits. They use, they use acid car, core solder. The only, um, the only soldering iron that I had as a, uh, as a young kid was this huge thing. My father welded radiators with in the, garage and uh and, and i tried to put stuff together with that i think that what the podcast does is it, it shows that everybody had these growing pains as they were getting into amateur radio and trying to be proficient i i, I try to get them to say um hopefully that they had a mentor or they had mentors because i i believe that uh you know with all my heart the fastest way to be successful is to have a mentor, find a mentor. On, on YouTube now, it's very easy. Oh, there's Bill. Bill is my greatest supporter, I must tell you. Bill has been uh, supporting the, the, um, the QSO Today podcast uh, since its very first episode. So, Bill, it's nice to see that you're listening. So, um, but anyway, the idea is, is, is that I want people should always find a mentor and with um, YouTube and with uh, Zoom and stuff like that, there's no borders anymore to finding a great mentor on any subject. If you want to be a soda expert, you tune into this podcast and you, I'm, I'm assuming that you three guys are available for answering questions for help or whatever to mentor people into success. That is so important. And uh, so I think that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping I'm doing the effect that I'm having. And, um, uh, that people will uh, will find a mentor. They they'll see that we we have flaws. Boy, have we burned up! I I burned up more gear than anybody um, knows of. Uh, if I, I I keep thinking if I had that gear today, I would I would um, clear out the limestone in the back of my house. I I bond it all together with the uh, number six wire and use it as a ground system for my house because I have enough stuff that I've burned up in my years. Um, that I could have amazing ground on limestone yeah. Yeah. Uh, if that was possible. Yeah. Let me go to Brian. Actually, let me do this first. Let me, for the benefit of people who are listening in the to the podcast and not the YouTube, uh, Eric, of course you have influence. This is from William. It's not your numbers. It's who listens and, and who they influence. So that's what uh, Eric was talking about just a minute ago. So uh, go ahead, uh, Brian. Did you have any questions you wanted to, to ask? Well, actually, I, I had to so just re re rewinding back just a little bit to earlier. Do you guys um, experience intentional jamming problems over there? 
Oh, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, look, there's not an, you know, one of the problems um, that we have uh, as, as hams anywhere. And by the way, I, I've, I've said this before. Uh, maybe I said this in the last podcast or the podcast that's going up this week is, is that we become so comfortable talking to each other over WhatsApp or signal or something like that, that we are not talking on the air enough. So we have we now have infrastructure in uh, in Israel where all of the VHF repeaters are are connected via, via an all star links. So you can be anywhere in the country and talk to any other place in the country. Uh, UHF, we've got DMR everywhere, uh, whether we have hotspots or DMR on mountaintops. And it's uh, I, I hear crickets hmm. and, and I'm and I'm responsible as well. I mean, I'm 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 to blame. I. When I'm in my car, I'm listening to podcasts, and uh, I I have the radio, but maybe I should turn the radio on. So if somebody calls, but I'm also not making calls. I'm I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. I I have a, a 20 meter radio here. I listen to 20 meter CW during the day while I'm working, um, but I very rarely uh, transmit on it. I'm a propagation ham. Uh, George talked to you about that the last time he was on with you. Um, uh, I build stuff. I test it. Uh, and then I go away and build some more stuff. So that's what I do. I, I think you know, we kind of have the same problem here. I mean, the, the repeaters in the valley can be pretty busy during certain times of the day, but there's a lot of repeaters that the only time they get keyed up is when the ID or somebody chunks them. Um, I, 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 much like you, I'm, I'm a connoisseur of, uh, of podcasts and spend most of my time either listening to podcasts or listening to, uh, CW files when I'm driving around to improve my, my head copy skills. So I, I, I do get that because there's many times I'm looking down at my radio and it's on, but I'm not talking on it. I'm, I'm either listening to it out of the corner of my ear or listening to a podcast while I'm driving to and from work on the, uh, on those days. In fact, I even listen to podcasts while I'm flying the plane because I can do that with my headset when I'm not in a busy part of the part of the flight. Uh, so what, what, what are some of your favorite podcasts to listen to? What do you, what, what, if you were, if you were driving around, what, what do you see are the top three in your, uh, in your, our top five in your, um, your podcast app? Uh, well, I, I listened to the pod father, uh, no agenda podcast, uh, with, um, Adam Curry and oh, John C. On. Dvorak. Hold on just a minute. Hold on. I'm a knight. Are you really? Yeah, I oh, am. Good for you. Oh, good for you. Okay. Well, I, 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 Adam, Adam Curry is the is the father of podcasting, and so I feel that, um, and he's a ham radio operator. He listens to, as far as I know, he listens to the QSO Today podcast because every once in a while he'll ping, and um, so I, I feel kind of obligated to to listen to those uh, those guys. I listen to um, Tim Ferriss's. Uh, his interviews. I listen to Ham Nation. Uh, I listen to uh, uh, probably the top uh, Ham Radio Workbench. I have to listen to Ham Radio Workbench uh, every two weeks when it comes out. So I, I like uh, four or five Ham Radio podcasts. Uh, the uh, I listen to Solder Smoke uh, when Solder Smoke is uh, they don't they don't do it regularly enough. But I, I've got a, a podcast app that catches them when it comes up. Uh, I, I, there's some business podcasts I listen to. Um, there's some, um, land of Israel podcasts. I've, uh, a very, um, uh, a very interesting podcaster that I listen to on the land of Israel podcast happens to live, um, up above me here. So I can see his patio from my front porch, uh, Ishai Fleischer. 
So I, I listen to a variety of things and just so that I can, I, I think I'm informed on uh, a number of things, but uh, I, I just love, I, I love the sound of it. I, I do some podcast consulting. So I've got a student who's, she's put up her first two podcasts uh, over the last uh, week or, or so. And I'm kind of uh, listen and kind of critique, you know, to kind of help her tweak it so that it, um, it, checks all the boxes that I think should be checked in, in producing a podcast. And having done you know, almost 400 now, I think I, I probably um, can, can say with some authority on what makes a, a relatively decent podcast. I, I believe so. Yes. <laughs> uh, so how's the CW coming? Cause I know you've been, you've been working on that. You've talked about it periodically. I know you've taken some, uh, some CW ops class. How, how are you doing? Uh, I, I'm terrible. Uh, no, okay. I, <laughs> I can I can I can send like a demon from hell, um, but but I'm probably still stuck at about uh, ten words a minute, and uh, and that's because I am not spending enough time on it. Uh, to my sorrow, uh, I I should spend more time on it. Uh, there's look I, there there's these ideas that in my brain that oh you know I could take Friday you know Fridays Fridays is like Saturdays here so. You know, we work Sunday through Thursday, and then I've got Friday and I've got Saturday. Well, Friday, I'm usually working on the podcast all day, and then the Sabbath rolls in. We don't work at all on 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 Saturday, and then Sundays the the work week begins. But but I have these fantasies that you know I'm just going to take the K two and I'm going to take you know my uh, ten meter extension pole and I'm going to go out to the park here in a frat. And I'm just going to operate and I'm going to have the right kind of cards to give to people if they want to stop and see what's happening. I've, I've, I do a lot of dreaming. I'm not doing a lot of executing. I, I think uh, we all have the, uh, the workbench of incomplete dreams, uh, in around us. I'm borrowing that from, uh, um, from, uh, amateur logic, Mike, uh, from up in Canada. That's what he calls his, uh, his box of incomplete dreams. And I, I think we all have that. Right. I think we do. <laughs> well, I, I see. I'll send it over to Dan and see if he has, if he, if you have anything else, Dan. Oh, well, just a, a, a comment and, and, a, and a question, but um, actually your podcast was the first one that I found and I've always listened to it just because I'm, I'm fascinated by the people you interview as far as uh, what they do in their walk of life, you know, for a job and their family and then how did they get into amateur radio and, and, and how did they mix it all together, you know, and um, you know, you got people who walk away and come back and, and, and all the different facets. And that's what encourages me is, is all the different facets of amateur radio and finding that one that you enjoy or, you know, two or three that you enjoy. Um, that's why I enjoy the show. Well, but, I'm glad I, uh, I used to ask people, I used to ask people, um, how does radio amateur radio affect your family life? And, uh, so I've, I don't ask the question very often. I, I maybe not even ask it anymore. But when I first started asking the question, I had one guy. I, I asked this before we start. You know, before we start uh, recording, uh, I'll I'll say, I, I here's the questions. This is one question. So I had one guy says, um, he says, no, don't I don't want to talk about it. Okay, yeah, no problem. Okay. <laughs> um, and then another guy said, well, you know, you could ask me that question, but I've been married four times, and amateur radio won every time. Oh, and boy. I thought, well, maybe I don't want to ask the question, you know. So, 
So I, I, I and, and Charlie knows that we have some um, there's a, we have a little bit of a conversation afterwards, which, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't get on the air. But for me, it's very, it ends up being very interesting. So uh, it's one of the it's one of the delights of doing of being the host of the QSO Today podcast is, is that I have some amazing I, I've learned more from my guests over the last you know seven years uh, than I learned about. Uh, amateur radio in the previous 42 years. So, and, and I have so much fun and I know that I can call uh, any of these guests again uh, and ask them a question or whatever. It, it, it really has been uh, great for me. Yeah. Well, that kind of brings up the, the question that, that I kind of wanted to ask was uh, what, what tip uh, topic in amateur radio that you interviewed on the show, do you think you learned the most about where you know you had no idea people even did that or um you know that kind of thing oh well look i i was um i was not active for 25 years i i had the radio in the car i had a I had, that was when i had the motorola mss and i was working in two-way radio all day long and uh um so i had the radio in the car i never turned it on uh so i did not i was not in amateur radio when say the CW uh, as a requirement went away and as the new digital modes took hold and and all the stuff. So uh, I think that um, I'm kind of amazed by just about everything that people are doing. Uh, What I'm, I'll tell you what I'm most amazed by is is that I think that the the most amazing ham that I know is is George Zephyropoulos, KJ6VU. And the reason is, is uh, George is the vice president of a major, you know, he's maybe a, a vice president. There's lots of vice presidents, but he's, you know, he's high up there on the on the food chain in, in his company. And yet he does more stuff than any ham I know. And I don't know when he does it. And, and so what impresses me about the guests that I have is, is that the amazing accomplishments, the amazing amount of stuff that they get done. And I feel like I'm drowning most of the time. <laughs> so, you know, it's it, it's quite amazing that um, that that, and that's I think what it is. I think that, and and that's led me to believe that the people who get things done in amateur radio, they schedule it on their calendar. They they say, you know what, um, every day from blah blah blah, this is sacred time for amateur radio, and this is where I'm going to work on my CW. This is where I'm going to build my you know, my kits, this is when I'm going to operate soda. I love Charlie. I mentioned the group in, in the Phoenix area that where you guys go out uh, once a week in the morning before, you know, before yeah. the sun's up and, um, and, and activate soda. I, I think that the people that, that are the most accomplished in amateur radio, they schedule it. Yeah. Yeah. And if it doesn't, if it's not on the schedule, it doesn't get done. Oftentimes that's true. Yep. All right, guys, well, let's shift gears here really quick. Um, let me share my screen. This is what we want to talk about next, Eric. Uh, you want to go ahead and and uh, let us all know what this is and uh, talk a little bit about this? Sure. It's- okay, right. so that's um, the, the, the slide you're looking at is the um, home page, uh, completely designed by me. So if, if you notice that it doesn't have any artistic accoutrement it's because uh, the guy that actually builds the website doesn't have any artistic ability. 
But um, the, <laughs> I the fall QSO in that category. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think some of us do. The, the QSO to the Virtual Ham Expo was uh, was born out of uh, the, the every few years I have the ability, if I want to, to travel to a big ham show like Dayton. Um, there's no holiday conflicts. There's no family conflicts. There's no scheduling conflicts. So in uh, in the spring of 2000, I was ready to go to Dayton again uh, for that, you know, that uh, overwhelming uh, sense of amateur radio. And then the pandemic hit and everything started shutting down. And I, you know, I, I figured, OK, well, let me see what else is shutting down. Maybe I can go later. You know, the pandemic will be over in May and then then I can go someplace in August. But then you saw everything starting to shut down, like, you know, uh, like tiles, you know, flipping over, you know, uh, dominoes falling across the the world. And it looked like everything in 2020 was going to be closed. So I got this idea I, and I asked a friend of mine and I asked uh, my XYL Karen, I said, well, what do you think about, you know, if we did it online, you know, who, who does things online? So I started looking for companies that did conventions online. Well, up until the pandemic, people that did conventions online, uh, they weren't a lot of them and those companies weren't busy. But as soon as the pandemic struck and I started thinking, well, maybe I could do a convention, uh, all of these companies, nobody would reply to me. And, and the, the company that we're using, the reply was, if you're serious, put type contract, contract in the, in the um, subject line on the, you know, to get their attention. And it got the attention of the CEO of VFairs, and um, that's how we ended up on VFairs. What I wanted was I wanted to create a convention that had an exhibit hall, it had an auditorium, it had people walking around. Um, it's very expensive to make those people walk around. Uh, I, I keep wondering whether it's worth it, but for me, it's fun, so um, we, we do it anyway. These platforms are fabulously expensive to, um, to operate. Um, but what we ended up doing was in August of 2020, we created a an expo and we created it. We had a bunch of exhibitors. Uh, we had I had thought that this was a you know, wow, this is a cash machine for, um, you know, for exhibitors. Uh, it, it wasn't a cash machine for all exhibitors, but, you know, it seemed to it seemed to kind of fill the bill at the time. Uh, I had amazing speakers. I think I had the first time I had. 60, 70 speakers, presentations in the expo. People from, you know, all over uh, the world, you know, were, were on the expo uh, doing their one-hour presentation uh, with Q&A. So that's what it is. So we're coming up on the the fourth QSO Today Virtual Am Expo. I already have, uh, I'll, I'll probably have over 60 presentations this time. And, uh, and you can, if you click, click, click on presentations there at the top. Yeah. So they're all there. Uh, I, I've used some, I've got some automation running to kind of fill those in as, as, as people put in uh, more applications and I accept them, they end up getting formatted and put into the website. Um, we have lots of speakers. Uh, I, I happen to uh, the the bar is variable on speakers, so I I want to give everyone a chance who wants to put together a presentation an opportunity to speak. They don't have to be, you know, the guys you read in QST or any of the magazines or the speakers you see at the main the, at the big shows. 
anybody that has something to say and can say it and talk like Ted, if they can talk like Ted in 20 to 25 minutes and take Q&A, those are the people that um, I like having in the expo. Um, some people have some um, pretty wacky ideas. I like them in the expo too, because I think that, you know, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the arena of, uh, of, of, of stating things publicly that you want to have people challenge it because that's how we grow. So um, there's a wide variety of people who are speaking and making presentations in the expo this time, the fourth time as well. And so I think that's, that's what this is. It's a, um, it is a, um, a virtual, it's a virtual ham radio convention. It's the first of its kind. It's the largest of its kind of its kind. We get six to 10,000 people each time who come. Uh, we charge a modest ten dollars uh, uh, for the ticket. Uh, that helps us to pay the staff. There's um, there's me and f- at the moment four other people that are working on the expo with me. Uh, we have a whole bunch of volunteers when it comes time to actually do the expo so that things go off. I experiment. Um, to my sorrow, last year I experimented um, trying to merge two platforms together. Uh, during the at the height of the COVID pandemic, when my um, my uh, my programmer on the weekend of the expo had to be intubated in the hospital uh, in Algeria, Yikes. so you want to know how bad things can get. So um, so so it didn't work out right on that one hand. On the other hand, um, people were uh, very amazing and flexible, and we still had over a hundred thousand downloads of the expo presentations. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the that that thirty day period following uh, the expo, so I I am always experimenting. I'm always trying to make it better. Uh, if people aren't flexible in, in terms of you know they can't forgive me at ten dollars, <laughs> they shouldn't come. Um, but because we're trying things, we're always trying things new. So in the in the next one, we're actually going to the exhibitor lounges and the lounges for. Um, for people to meet with each other and talk with each other at the expo is on a, a system called Kumo space. And uh, if you watch the expo website, I'll actually have one of these lounges set up for people to try. And that will allow people, you can walk around the room, you can gather in groups. Uh, you see like we're, what we're talking right now. I see all of the, the, the people who are in my group talking as you walk away from the group, the audio goes down like you're walking away from a group and walking into another group. Uh, it it has some very interesting possibilities. We're trying it. We're trying to see whether or not uh, we can make a great weekend ham radio experience that anybody can attend without leaving their their home. And they don't even have to put on pants as long as they stay seated. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, okay, let's go to Brian and then to Dan as far as follow-up questions on the expo. So I, just a comment. So the first expo, I think it was in August. I actually attended that one while I was working. I just happened to be fortunate enough that day to get assigned to an airplane that was broken. So I was on from uh, the Doubletree at Houston Hobby Airport. And it was actually great because I had nothing to do all day. And I filled it up with with amateur radio. And that was the the first one. Um I'm assuming you probably get a lot of comments from people who are not able to travel period or, uh, you know, don't have the, the, the funds and 
it, I think it's a really good, uh, good thing. Um, the, the speakers have been fantastic. Uh, obviously, you know, you've, you've grown it and you've evolved it. What are, what are some of the, uh, the things you go looking back? What would you say was, was one of the things you thought was, was you knocked it out of the park on? And other than the, the one you've already talked about, what was something that you're like, uh, I probably shouldn't have done it that way. Um, look, I, I, you know, my wife, uh, who's watching, I can see that she's put a comment in the, uh, in the thing here, I, I have a short attention span. Uh, I'm I'm all over the place. You know, if uh, if there's a if there's a distraction, I'm on it. So one of the uh, I'll start with the negative side. The, what happened last March was because I wanted so desperately to try something new, and I didn't give myself enough time uh, to to do it and to test it and make sure that it was bulletproof before I put it out there. And it it caused a lot of people some some difficulty, and uh, and I, you know, it was my fault. I took responsibility for it. That's the way that happens. That that's what happened. Um, that that was probably the most stressful moment of my life. Um, when uh, I'm trying to think of stressful moments, that was probably one of the most stressful moments of my of my life. Um, was that was that weekend. However, I think, you know, what one of the things that I, I would say is the success of the expo is, is, is that um, because ham radio operators are older now, uh, they tend to be we, we tend to be older, we tend to be over 50. And I saw somebody in the in the uh, in the comments say that he's under 50 and he has an extra class license. But I think that the majority of us who are active are older than 50. Um, some of us, uh, our health isn't great. Uh, the expo gives people an opportunity who um, either don't have a travel budget, their health is uh, on the skids. Um, it's better that they stay home. Uh, it um, for those people that you know have great health and can travel to Dayton or travel anywhere. We still have amazing speakers. We have you know, and I think that's my the greatest accomplishment of the expo is is that that I. The expo, not me, the expo attracts amazing speakers who are doing amazing things. The I think I've got a library now of over 200 videos from the expos um, that I hope will be kind of the learning material for starting um, some bigger projects. So I'll, I'll kind of clarify what I mean by that. What I try to do with the expo is I try to get people, I, I, I tell the speakers, talk like Ted, sell one idea that, you, that you're passionate about, that you know something about. Now, obviously, we have our experts who um, will give you 50 slides for 50 minutes. But the, the, but the real idea is, is to, get, to get especially new hams or hams that are kind of, you know, they've been like me. They're, they've, they've been in it forever and they're just looking for something different. You want to inspire passion in somebody so that they will take action. You know whether that's to do soda, or it's to um, it's to build kits, or it's to to improve their CW. Whatever whatever it is. I mean, again, that midway has a thousand tens. So that's what I'm I'm probably the proudest about is is, is that when I get messages back from people that said, you know what, that presentation by you know whoever it was inspired me to do this. That's what I think the, the advantage of the expo is. I'm creating, a, 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 and I'll announce it 
officially at the expo, um, the QSO Today Circle. I'm, I want to create a community um, that includes the presenters and their presentations as a way to start um, kind of like an open university for ham radio. That if, um, if John Portune, for example, who started uh, the expo with his slot antenna, that antenna where he cuts a slot in his uh, satellite TV dish so he can have a vertically polarized two-meter antenna in an HOA, um, if he wants to do a, a course then of, you know, to, to, to get someone to have at the end of his course a working replica of the thing that he's talking about, that's what I want. I want people to be able to be moved to um, to be uh, to to be moved to become experts in one area of ham radio, so that they can enjoy it and they can teach that to somebody else. That's that's kind of the goal here. All right, that yeah, absolutely. You know, that's 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 great. I I, I think you're one of the best. Um, spokesman that we have in, in, in the hobby. You do an excellent job of promoting the hobby across the board for the interviews and, and the, uh, the expo. So it's, that was one of the things I was very excited about. And we, you know, we pre-discussion, we were bringing in, talking about bringing guests and you were on the top of my list for someone to bring on because you do such a great job of promoting this hobby. Thank you. Right. I, I, I would be blushing, but um, <laughs> the light's not right, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, I have some, some follow-up questions, but do you, I'll give Dan and Brian another opportunity for any more. I, I just want to say, I, the Expo is a, a great thought, and I, I'm just thankful that, you know, you took on, you know, such an enormous project. Um, I, I mean, have you had any um, experience in something similar to that? in the past and and how difficult was it for you to get uh or find people who could help support you as far as you know writing these custom apps and and trying to paste everything together for you know a, a good appearance and and being able to run it the way that uh, you really had envisioned well look I, um other than being married for almost 40 years i, I think that the the qso today podcast in terms of a commitment is probably the only thing I've done in my life where I've, um, I've done it every week. I I've missed maybe two or three weeks in the last, um, seven, eight years, uh, doing the podcast. So I think that kind of greased the skids for doing something like the expo. Um, I, I am a project-based person. I've, I've owned three companies. Uh, I've been the project manager, the engineer, the all this stuff. So I have the skill set for this. The, the internet has made it absolutely amazing in order to, to put anything like this together. The technology is there. Uh, there's, uh, there are companies like Upwork. I use Upwork, which is a, a company where you, you go on the internet and you, in, in Upwork and you find the people that you need. So um, Vlad, who is my programmer in the Ukraine, I found on Upwork because I needed a full stack developer and I interviewed a number of them until I settled on Vlad and Vlad is great. And, uh, he's not, he's not necessarily expensive, but by Ukrainian, uh, you know, wages, he's doing okay with the expo. Uh, Emanuela, who is my right hand person, 
uh, I found on Upwork because uh, I was looking for somebody that knew something about events, how to plan and, and schedule events. Emanuela is in Italy, um, but she speaks uh, she speaks a very good English, and uh, she supports the exhibitors. So she handles the exhibit hall and and onboarding exhibitors, and uh, and she also does uh, social media. So. Um, I find people uh, who, who do the job. I, I, there are people here in Afrat um, who I hire also to, um, to do, do things, uh, uh, whether it's posting on social media or doing some project stuff. I'm not great at delegating. I, I tend to think that I'm the only guy that knows everything, uh, which is not a good thing. And um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which means that because by the time the expo's over, I, I kind of think I need a two week uh, vacation in bed, you know, in order to to um, to, to get it over with. But for the most part, I, the, the Internet now has I, I can be, you know, I can be in Israel and run an expo from, you know, in North America. And the, and the expo is intended mostly for North American hams. I haven't gotten any. Uh, frankly, positive response uh, from anywhere else in the world. Um, some hams, yes. Um, organizations, no. So, um, so it's it's primarily um, targeted at North America, and that's where I'm from, and that's what I know, and that seems to be my kind of my sphere of influence. So it's it's not uh, as heavily um, attended by folks in Europe. Then it's it's primarily it's America. Then primarily Americans. So I'd say that. Um, you know, maybe ten percent come from outside of uh, North America. The majority come from. Now, the first expo we did, we had maybe over a hundred countries represented, but uh, there weren't. You know, maybe two or three from each. But the majority of of um, of hams that come to the expo now are from North America, and and I think part of it is the the language. You know the the language issues. Yeah, I used to I used to work as a, I was VP of marketing for a high tech company here in Israel, and we were looking at markets. You know, where could we go? You know, where we get the biggest bang? And we were selling telev uh, cable television equipment. Uh, we could go to Europe, to the EU, where we only have to deal with sixty different languages or something like that, or we go to North America and and deal with one. And I I think that you know from a marketing standpoint. Uh, when you're looking at the best place to to market amateur radio, I think it's the 800,000 in in North America, uh, and that's not to you know Japan has two million uh, licensees. Uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, um, I didn't see much interest uh, from the Japanese in uh, either presenting at the expo or uh, you know even attending the expo. Interesting. It's a, they're different kinds of hams, you know. I I think I know the North American market. All right. So again, as a reminder to people, that's uh, March twelfth and thirteenth. That's UT. Year. By the way, that's UTC. So what that means is we actually start at six p.m. We open the expo at six p.m. Friday Pacific Standard Time. So okay. the March eleventh at six p.m. And I, th I, I think at 7, uh, we'll have the Ham Radio Workbench. We'll do their live thing. Uh, Ham 2.0 will do their thing. And I think we have Rat Pack. Oh, also. You, ha you have Jason on, Ham Radio 2.0. That's right. So there will oh. be three channels running. Uh, hopefully, I think it's 7 o'clock Pacific time. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so 
my question then as speakers, how many do you have usually? I mean, it's been like four years now. Is it varied quite a bit or is it about the same? Uh, look, it, the last one, August, we had um, over 100 speakers. We had almost a little over 90 presentations. Uh, right now, we're, um, they're not all posted yet. Uh, uh, Flex Radio gets an entire track, and so only two of theirs are up so far. So, um, so I think we'll keep it probably around 60 I, this time. The the resource the, the 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 speaking part of the presentation part of the expo is really the most expensive part that we have because, in order to do simultaneous uh, uh, presentations, we have to use um, Zoom webinar or um, or um, something like I'm I'm looking at you know all kinds of things usually but in in the end probably we'll end up using Zoom webinar that's a thousand dollars a channel. So, you know, so if we're running eight channels, we're running, we're spending $8,000, then we wow. have to get all of that, um, all of that uh, video off of Zoom. It has to go into the editing bay where we spend two months editing it so that we can put the Q&A that was, that was also recorded onto the original presentation. All of the presentations in the expo are pre-recorded. Uh, we do that on purpose. And the reason we do that is, is because we find that that not everybody in America who is a great presenter is sitting on good internet. Uh, so therefore, we want to make sure that we have a great presentation. We've had it in the, uh, at the, in the very first one, I remember, we had two um, Q&As following presentations that were done in hospital emergency rooms um, on phones. So wow. they, were, they were there in the hospital with a family member who had COVID and uh, and so we had their presentation. It didn't it wasn't live, but they were able to do the Q&A using their phone. So in order to assure that we have the best presentations, they're all pre-recorded. Now, I, I'm hoping that we'll have a panel discussion or something like that that will be live. Um, the build-a-thons with Rex Harper will be live uh, so that he can actually work with people. But the majority, the vast majority, 90 5% of the expo presentations will be pre-recorded for the expo and then with live Q&A at the end. Okay. And so and it's fabulously expensive. So that's what I'm saying that the end result is, is, is it's fabulously expensive to have a hundred presentations because it multiplies everything I've just told you about, you know, by that number. So, um, yeah. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it ends up. I don't like to say no. Uh, if somebody has a great presentation and they can get it in under the wire, uh, then I, I What's you the know, deadline? I, I've kind of been the more the merrier. Are you still taking uh, ideas or is it, or is it closed? I'm now? still, I'm still, uh, officially I'm not taking them, but I'm still taking them if they can, if they can have them in finished by February 15th. Okay, good. Okay. Because that, so there's a, there's a, because um, I, I even had one, I had one last um, time uh, where it came in Saturday night for Sunday. And the guy, <laughs> the, the ham did not have internet at his house. So he went to his public library and sat on the steps and used their Wi-Fi from outside the closed library to upload his presentation to us. So oh, wow. I don't know how he did the QSO, how he did the, um, the Q&A. But we got the we got the presentation only the next morning and then put it up uh, up for him. So 
you know, um, I, I can't do it. It's too much. It's too stressful for us. Uh, it, it, we have such a huge workload. I don't do the video editing. I have um, Ben Bresky, who does who edits my podcast, does the video editing. But it got too stressful for all of the stuff to all of a sudden show up, you know, in the last week of the, you know, before the expo. So we this time we need the time to actually put it to put it up, put it to, you know, load it properly, make sure that everybody has the right links. Uh, when things get screwed up, it's because we are under stress and we make mistakes. Yeah. Makes you mentioned sense. you mentioned uh, uh, Ham Radio Workbench and you mentioned uh, Ham Radio 2.0 and one other one. Rat Pack. Rat Pack. And you, and you, I don't know if you actually said it or implied it that there was, they were going to be running simultaneously as different tracks or something. They are. They're, they're going to, they'll be running on three uh, Zoom webinars or um, something like what, what you're using now. Yeah. Uh, they probably will also be going to their channels live from the expo. So these are live rather than. Uh, than... Those are live. Yeah. So you've got three live tracks plus you have, are they, are the recordings uh, grouped into tracks too, or are they just kind of. No, no, no. They're, kinda... So, so every, every place you see a presentation, the presentations aren't scheduled yet, meaning I haven't gone through and, you know, kind of moved them around on the calendar so that I know what, which ones are parallel to, but once those are scheduled, you'll see buttons show up automatically that say what time, you know, what slot they're in. Um, they're, you know, they're Saturday at 9 a.m. And you might see four of them Saturday at 9 a.m. So they're parallel. So, so those are the ones that are running at the same time. Got it. Uh, and th that's how the schedule will be worked out. But those are all, those will all be on uh, individual Zoom webinar sessions. Okay, good. Okay. And they'll, so they'll have unique URLs for each one. And in, in the VFairs uh, auditorium, you actually uh, go into the schedule and you just you know, push the button uh, when the button says it's, you know, the room's open. So you go, you push the button and uh, then the presentation starts. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're running long, I think a little bit. So let's kind of wrap it up. I do want to mention, uh, since you mentioned the Ham Radio 2.0, um, I uh, work with him on a lot of stuff. He's, he's a friend of mine and we've, uh, and so we're in, in the YouTubers group together. And I had noticed there that you also have Kyle that's going to do a presentation, which is also kind of in, that group of, of friends that we have. So that's cool. So I, I'm excited that uh, they're going to be participating. Um, Brian and Dan, uh, before we wrap it up, any, any follow-up questions? And then we'll give, uh, after that, we'll give Eric the final thought. None, none for me. No. Yeah, no, I'm good to go. I've worn you guys out. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the problem is we could probably go for hours. Um, we could give uh, yeah. uh, Hair Radio Workbench a run for its money, I think. Probably. <laughs> That's yeah. right. While you're while you're clearing snow or uh, or going depends on what hemisphere yeah. you're in. Exactly. I mean, I've only I think we've I've only been through about half of the questions I prepared. So it's just and we're already at an hour and eighteen minutes. So we'll we'll end it here. Uh, Eric, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on the show. You're a very interesting guy. And what's more important than that, than being interesting, is that you have given a lot to a lot of people, given back to the community in a lot of different ways. And so we really appreciate you. Yes. So would you uh, go ahead and just uh, any parting thoughts, and then we'll uh, say goodbye. Well, I think the only thought I have is um, find a mentor if you want to if you want to go to the next level, or be a mentor and help somebody else come to the next level. Um, if you do those two things, then our hobby will be in great shape and we'll have people who are 
helping each other, you know, raise, uh, you know, the, if the water rises, raises all boats, um, then we're all going to benefit. And so be a mentor or seek a mentor. Okay. Very good. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks. Uh, stick around real quick, Eric, at the end for just a minute. And let's, uh, we'll uh, say 73 to everybody. Uh, bye-bye.